here this morning and actually for the next couple weeks is work through some practical ways that we actually can grow closer to the Lord this year. So some ways that we can actually make some progress in our relationship with the Lord. We've all done it before where we make promises and this year's gonna be different. And I'm, start, I'm doing a four hour quiet time every morning because this year, 2022, and then it fades off again. I would love to give us some, some very practical tools to be able to get some traction this year, to be able to move forward, to make some headway we believe that we as a church, you guys have heard this many times, exist to see every person involved in kingdom life. The, the goal of our church is to see every person we come in contact with actively involved in what the king is doing, living out the will of the king. And one of the values that we have that we think, man, if, if we put this on a top shelf, if, if we make this one of our focus, we'll see people be involved in the kingdom, one of those values is practical discipleship. That word practical, I have it highlighted there, because I think far too often we talk about discipleship, but there's no handles to it. There's nothing to grab onto. One, one of the things that the church has been great at doing is telling people what they should do. One of the things the church tends to fall short in is telling people how to actually do it. How many of you guys have, have come to church before and you've heard, you should read your Bible more? I'm the only one. Are you kidding me? Okay. How many of you heard, you should pray more? How many of you then had somebody sit down with you and go, let me teach you how to read your Bible. Let me teach you how to pray. I've referenced this before. It was probably six years ago. Uh, I, I got a hold of about 30 people uh, from our church. 30 like just regular bought in attenders of the church. And I said, where did you learn to read the Bible? And out of 30 of them, two were able to say the name of a person, they taught me how. Everyone else had something along the lines of, I don't know, I've just been kind of figuring out, I'm making it up. And there was almost always this at the end. And I'm pretty sure I'm doing it wrong. And some of these people have been walking with Jesus for 30 years. And they're going, I don't know. I'm just, we're making it up. And it just hit me like they've never been given handles. They've been told you should read your Bible. No one ever said, here's how. And that is a tragedy. We need practical discipleship. I'll define that here in a moment. Our, our, our current, when I say our, I'm not just talking about us, but kind of the church as a whole. This here's what you need to do but never coming along and helping you do it, that leads to guilt, it leads to frustration, and very quickly it leads to giving up. I don't wanna do this anymore. And I, every time I talk to somebody and I say, so like, tell me about your faith story, or I say, tell me, how are you and Jesus doing? I always get, well, I, I don't read as much as I should, I don't, I don't pray as much as I should. I say, oh, how much should you be reading? I don't know, more than I am, it's never enough. We haven't done a good job at helping practically disciple people. Many of you, this is your story. You've been told what to do, but never shown how. And that is not the, how the church is supposed to function. My job description, you've heard me read this before, from Ephesians chapter four. And he, he being Jesus, personally gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? 
for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. The role of a pastor, or I'm not even going to bring our elders into this, our role is to train you up to do the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. And if we're not putting practical handles on it, we're failing. If all we're doing is going, you should be sharing your faith, you should be reading more, you should be praying more, and then we go home, we have failed you. So what I want to do today is give some practical tips. Here's how we've defined practical discipleship. Walking arm in arm in intentional relationships toward transformation into Christ's character and priorities. It happens when we as believers lock arms in intentional relationships. Let's work at this together. And our goal is to be transformed to look like Jesus. His character, his inward character becomes ours. His priorities, the way that he would order his life becomes our priorities. This happens through intentional relationships. The the most practical way that I can teach you these things, they're not new, they're age old, and it's simply just bringing them back up again, it's spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines kind of has a bit of a bad name because what's the second word in it? Discipline. Ugh. Couldn't they have come up with like a more happy sounding thing? What we're talking about here are steps that you can take, but these steps take discipline. They're things that we have to be trained into. Spiritual disciplines are meant to be learned in the context of discipleship. One person locking arms with another and going, let's go at this together. Let me teach with you what I have learned. Spiritual disciplines are not intuitive. They need to be modeled. They need to be trained. They don't come naturally. That's why they're called disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are meant to draw us back to what's most important. As we go throughout life, our eyes wander and we begin to get off track. Spiritual disciplines are meant to pull us back to what's the most important. They're meant to refocus our lives on what's most important. Jesus, when he was teaching in Matthew 7, he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. Jesus was going, look, as as we go through this life, there's a way to stand on this firm foundation that will not be shaken. And then there's our natural. We will naturally move on to sand. We will naturally go the way that seems the easiest, that, that comes the most natural. We get distracted and we walk away. Spiritual disciplines are those ways of pulling ourselves back and going, oh, that's right. I can't trust this. I gotta get back to the rock. And they refocus our lives on that. Does this make sense? Okay. So we're going to start going through some of the spiritual disciplines. Each week for the next three weeks, we're going to tackle a couple of them. And here's how this is going to go. I'm going to touch on them very briefly. Most of these don't need a ton of teaching in terms of me standing up here and telling you what to do. So I'm just going to kind of touch on them to to highlight them. 
And I'm going to try to create space so that at the end we can talk and we can learn from each other. So instead of me just saying, hey, you need to read your Bible more, I want to create some space to go, how have you found success at reading the scriptures? How have you found success in prayer? And I want to create space for us to talk. So as I come through these, I'm just going to be kind of highlighting and touching on them because I think the real meat happens as we begin to discuss it later. Does that make sense? So here's a couple things to keep in mind. As we go through these spiritual disciplines, we're going to cover 10 to 12 of them over the next three weeks. So three to four each week. Wait three weeks to choose which ones you're going to tackle. Because here's what we tend to do. We're going to come into each one and we're going to go, oh yeah, I stink at that. I need to get better at that. And we're going to pick up two or three out of each week. A month from now, you've got nine of them that you've already failed and moved on from. This is what we do. We take big swings. Part of it's an American thing. Part of it's just a human thing. We see life as a sprint. Jesus might be coming back next week, next month, and I got to get real good before then. I would much rather see us pick one. Maybe two if you're super ambitious, but even that, be careful. I'd rather see you pick one discipline a year and 10 years from now, have these 10 disciplines in your tool belt that you can pull out and they're practiced and you know what you're doing. You're actually growing and maturing in them instead of I have six that I tried for a month and it was too much. So, so think smaller. It's unnatural for us. It almost sounds unchristian. Wouldn't Jesus say, hey, pray for a miracle and take a huge swing? He walked with his disciples for three years and it was a slow process. So take it slow, slower than you want to take it. Here's the one discipline I'm going to work on this year and I'm not picking up another one until this just comes naturally to me. Take it slow. Second thing, find someone further along than you are and ask them to teach you. Hey, when we talk, the Bible just kind of seems to come out of you. It's almost like you know it, like you have it in your heart. Can you show me how you, how you got there? When we pray, there's something different about your prayers than my prayers. Can you teach me how to pray like you? Man, when, when we're out uh, and the church is getting together and doing this thing, man, I see the joy when you serve other people. Can I just spend some time with you? I would love to learn how you got there because it didn't happen by accident. Will you teach me how you got where you are? It, it's all meant to happen in the context of discipleship, of relationship. So start small, pick one and wait three weeks to do it. Don't get one today and because then you'll just stop listening from that point on. Hear them all out, pick one and go, who do I know that's better at that than I am? And how do I begin to spend time with them? How do I begin to have them teach me? I want to grow in that area and I need them to do it. Does that make sense? Okay. So uh, the spiritual disciplines we're going to look at, we're going to kind of break it into sections. Inward, outward, and corporate. The inward disciplines, the ones that no one will ever see, but we really hope they see the fruit of. The outward disciplines, the ones that as I practice these, people are going to notice them. And then the corporate disciplines, the ones that are meant to happen with us when we gather together in a small group, in a, in a group of two or three, and on a Sunday morning, these disciplines that we need to practice corporately together. Uh, where I'm getting these from is the book, The Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. This was written, I think, in 1978. And so it's not like some new thing hitting the, the scene. 
This has been around for a long time. If you want to know about spiritual disciplines, this is the first place that I would encourage you to look. And so as we go down through these, I'm actually going to quote him a number of times this morning. Um, I'm sending out an email. You'll actually get it at noon. Uh, and part of it has a link of where to get this on Amazon. So if you're hearing it and you're going, man, I would like to know some more about that. It's super practical. It's really well thought out. It's, it's an easy read in terms of you don't have to have you know, a master's degree to understand what he's saying. But it, it goes deep. It's really challenging. So I'd really encourage you guys the celebration of disciplines. So let's start with our inward disciplines. The first one is study. Regular, intentional time to meet with the Lord through his word. Time set aside specifically for cracking open that Bible and going, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? Meeting with the Lord through his word. I love that it's study. It's not just reading. We've all read, closed the book, and went, I have no idea what I just read, right? Whether it's the Bible, whether it's another book, we've all been there. Study comes at it very intentionally and goes, Lord, before I even open this thing, I need to meet with you. I need for you to be my teacher. I actually want to learn and grow. It's a very engaged thing. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The study is what transforms our mind. Coming to the word and going, Lord, teach me how to think like you think. I already know how to think like I think, and I already know where that leads. Transform my mind. Renew it. Teach me to think as you think, to see as you see, to act and to react as you act. It comes through this very intentional study of his word. Some of you, I, I hear this a lot, people go, well, yeah, I read the Bible every day. I get a verse of the day text on my phone, you know, and I kind of read it. And is that a bad thing? No. Is that enough of a diet to sustain yourself? It is not. Just like with eating actual food, if you want to actually grow and build muscle, you got to eat some more calories, depending on where you were before. Some of us, it's still less. But the idea, you have to have a healthy diet. Scripture is the exact same way. If you actually want to grow, we have to have time put in. Now, but here's the thing. Here's the tricky part. It's not just about time. It's not about, okay, so if you do 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day or an hour a day, it's not about time. It's about connection and depth. How much time does it take you to be able to connect with the Lord and hear from him? One day, it may happen like, man, you crack it open, first words you look at and you're like, whoa, and you don't make it any further. Some days you may be in there for 20, 30 minutes just going, Lord, what, what is it you're trying to say to me? But it's not about time. It's not about, okay, I did my 10 minutes today. Now he kind of owes me some growth. Lord, I want to meet with you and I want to grow deeper in my faith. Whatever that looks like today. Most of us don't just have an open-ended schedule where we can go, hey, if it takes three hours, it takes three hours. Most of us have, okay, at 30 minutes, I got to go to work. You know, or my lunch break is only so long or whatever it may be. But going, Lord, I'm available during this time because I want to meet with you. Is this making sense, church? So there's a missiologist named Dwight Smith, and he says it like this. The Bible is the vocabulary of the Holy Spirit. If you want to hear God speaking into your life, you have to have time in the word. The number one way that the Holy Spirit speaks to his people is through his word. 
if we're not spending time in it, we are missing what the Lord is trying to say to us. We have to grow in this discipline of study. The second one, and some of these dovetail so well together that I honestly can't even tell you where one ends and the other one starts. And I think that's a great thing because it means as you grow in one of these disciplines, you're almost, you have to be growing in some of the other ones because they're just so interconnected. This next discipline is one of my favorites. It's called meditation. This is what takes study from just gathering knowledge and brings it into actual life change. Richard Foster says this, Christian meditation, very simply, is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. Meditation has been hijacked uh, in the last couple, probably thousand years. And it's by this Eastern mysticism thing. And most people, when they think meditation, they think sitting there and focusing on what? Nothing. Nothing. The point of Eastern meditation is nothingness. I've completely emptied myself. Yay, I've made it. It's weird. The point of Christian meditation is filling yourself with the presence of the Lord, with his word and with his presence. In Christian meditation, we don't focus on nothing. In Christian meditation, we meditate on the Lord's word. We meditate on what the Lord has spoken to us. And meditation is about going, okay, Lord, so what does that look like in my life? How does that apply to my life today? How does that apply to my situation? Lord, I hear you calling me to be more patient. And quite frankly, I don't feel patient. How are you going to do this in my life? And it's creating that space to focus on what the Lord has been speaking. Meditation in this sense is about application. How do I apply what you're saying to my life? How do I see what you're saying actually come to pass in me? Richard Foster says it like this. The discipline of meditation, or, uh, oh yeah, the discipline of meditation was certainly familiar to the authors of scripture. The Bible uses two different Hebrew words to convey the idea of meditation, and together they're used some 58 times. These words have various meanings, listening to God's word, reflecting on God's works, rehearsing God's deeds, ruminating on God's law, and more. In each case, there's a stress upon changed behavior as a result of our encounter with the living God. Repentance and obedience are essential features in any biblical understanding of meditation. Lord, okay, so I read today, you said, uh, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Lord, what does that look like? Where is my mind not like yours? Where does my mind need made new? God, show me. And, and I sit and I just go, I want my mind to be new, God. And maybe we repeat that word over and over again. Maybe memorization is a part of this, whatever, but it's about taking what we've heard and moving it into real life. I want to now obey what you've said. I got to give it time to get down into my heart. Is this making sense, church? Okay. It's about actually having, expecting the time with your father to have an impact on your every day. Spending time allowing the word and the working of the Lord to penetrate your heart. Again, Foster says this, meditation opens the door, and although we're engaging in specific meditation exercises at specific times, the aim is to bring the living reality into all of life. It's a portable sanctuary that brought, in, that brought into all we are and do. 
It's about taking these, these times, specific times and spaces where I sit and go, okay, Lord, what does that mean? How do I apply that? How are you going to make that happen? And as we do it in those specific times and places, it becomes so habitual that it becomes a way of life. We start bringing this into all that we say and do, and meditation on the word becomes habitual. As I'm going throughout my day, as I'm having conversations with people, his word is coming up in my heart and in my life. And I begin to start to connect the dots and I begin to see this is how that plays out today. This is what that person needs. They need to hear the word of the Lord so that they can begin to apply it to their lives. So it starts with these specific appointed times and places, but then becomes this natural overflow into our everyday. The third discipline that we're going to look at, prayer. How many of you know you need to pray? How many of you know you need to probably pray more than you do? You've known that for a while, right? And it's not super helpful. <laughs> we got to put some handles on it. Foster says this, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we're unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. Simply put, prayer is conversation with God. In a conversation, do you speak more or listen more? It's a trick question. It's both. When you pray, do you speak more or listen more? If you're honest, if most of us are honest, we do most of the speaking. And then we wonder, how come it doesn't seem like God's saying anything? Prayer is this conversation with God. It involves both speaking and listening, asking and receiving. We tend to just focus on one more than the other. There's a kind of these extreme ideas that some people have about prayer. And here's the, the hard part. Most of them are right. They're just incomplete by themselves. There's these things that seem like opposites, but are actually meant to be true about prayer. What I mean is like this. In prayer, we're meant to be speaking. We're meant to be asking. We're meant to be sharing with him. We're, we're even told in James, you have not because you didn't even ask for it. And he's going, talk more, share with him more, ask him for more things. And so we're meant to be speaking, asking, sharing, but we're also meant to be listening and receiving and hearing his thoughts, not just telling him ours. And so it's both this active talking thing and it's both quiet and still all at the same time. It's alone, it's intimate, it's personal, and yet it's also corporate and it's shared and it's meant to unify us when we actually pray together. So are you supposed to go into some prayer closet or are you supposed to gather some friends and pray together? Yes. It's structured, it's patterned, it's appointed. What I mean by that is there should be certain times and places. This is my prayer time. This, this is where I go because it's, it's quiet and it's easy to connect with the Lord here. And so it's very structured. We find when Jesus' disciples came to him and they say, would you teach us how to pray? He didn't go, yeah, I don't know. Just kind of throw some stuff up there and I don't know, see what he says. He gave them a pattern to follow in the Lord's prayer. When you pray, pray like this. And he walked them through this pattern. Yet at the same time, prayer is fluid. It's free form. We find other places where Jesus is talking to his father almost as if his father was right there listening and they're just having a conversation 
It was circumstantial. It, it didn't have that pattern, but it was just, hey, this just came up. Lord, this is heavy on our hearts. Will you do something about this? It's all of those things at the same time. And so it, it can start to feel even a little overwhelming at time. And I appreciate Richard Foster. He says this in there. Real prayer is something we learn. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They had prayed all their lives, and yet something about the quality and quantity of Jesus praying caused them to see how little they knew about prayer. If praying was to make any difference on the human scene, there was something they needed to learn. And Foster says this about himself, and I love it. It was liberating for me to understand that prayer involved a learning process. I was set free to question, to experiment, even to fail, for I knew that I was learning. God wasn't up there going, hey, how come you don't have this figured out yet, Rick? He was going, man, I'm just so thrilled that you're coming to me. And he, oh, nope, yeah, we don't really pray like that. You know, and he fell on his face and, and a loving father picked him back up and went, man, I love your heart though. And he would try different things and he would try silent and he would try loud and he would hear somebody else praying. Have you ever been in some, a lot of times older, more established churches and somebody prays and they're like, oh dear Lord of hosts. And they just launch in and you're like, whoa. I don't pray like that. Have you ever tried? Maybe it works for you. I, I remember one time when we were in Cleveland, everybody named Calvin. Calvin is way cooler than me. And so Calvin was praying one day, and I mean, just as he does, and he goes, what did he say? He was like, yo, Lord, it would be dope if you would you know, do something like this. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even know that was an option. <laughs> so like two days later, I was in my quiet time, and I was like, Yo, Lord, wouldn't it be dope? And legitimately, I got the sense that the Lord went, that's cute, but we don't do that. <laughs> like, that's not our thing. And it's weird. The Lord and I laughed about it, and I went back to, yeah, sorry about that. Okay, Father, uh, here's what we need. Like, you're free to try things. God is not offended. God is not going, there is this one way, and if you don't figure it out, oh, I'm so mad at you. He's going, try it, figure it out. See how you and I connect because it's going to be different than how Michael and I connect or Steve and I or David and I. And that's a beautiful thing. Prayer involves a learning process so you're free to learn, to try. Grab some other people who have it figured out just a little better than you do and go, hey, how do you do it? Let me try some of that. And you'll probably find some of it works, some of it doesn't. So you take what does and you move on. It is a learning process, and that is a beautiful thing. The final discipline we're going to look at this morning, or more touch on, is the discipline of fasting. This one is super popular. I'm surprised you guys didn't break into applause. <laughs> fasting, my own words here, deliberately telling your appetites no. Doesn't that sound like fun? Wanting something and telling yourself no. There is actually a beauty to fasting, to learning to tell yourself you don't actually need that. Or you've got some things out of order. You don't need that as much as you think you do. And to learn to grow and to tell yourself no. Just because I have an appetite doesn't mean that it needs gratified. We all naturally come into it. Again, this is the shifting sand part of going, I want it, therefore I need it. And we get it, and does it make us happy? Does it satisfy? I don't care how good the meal is, you wake up hungry the next day, right? How long ago was Christmas? How many of you have already forgotten some of the things you got? They were, you were so happy to get them on that day, and then they went on a shelf, and you won't think about them again. 
It never satisfies. And fasting is one of those ways to help us remember this doesn't satisfy. It was never meant to. There's a couple benefits that come from fasting. First is developing a love for the blesser over the blessings. One of the things that I do when I fast, just super quick, if I'm fasting, food is the most common thing that people fast. Let's say I'm fasting lunch one day. Guess what happens around noon? I get hungry. And what I do in those times when I get hungry is I use that as an opportunity to go, no, some things are out of order. Jesus, I need you more than I need this food. Right now, my body is reminding me I really want that. I have an appetite for that. And this is my opportunity to go, Jesus, you're better than the best meal I could have right now. I want to learn to be content with you because to have the blesser is better than to have all the blessings that could come with it. Thankfully, we serve a God who loves to pour blessings out anyway, but sometimes we lose sight of him because there's just so many good things coming our way. And fasting is one of those ways to kind of take a step back and go, I don't want to miss the plot. You're what this is about. I am more in love with you than I am the things you give me. I need you more than I need these earthly things. One of the other benefits of fasting is developing self-control. I've heard it said by people all the time, and it sounds super spiritual. I don't need self-control. I need God control. Well, guess what? He's not in the business of controlling you. You don't become a marinette on strings. But what he does do is provide you with the ability to have self-control. The, the fruits of the Spirit, pretty common to most of us in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the, one of the signs that you're actually growing and maturing in your faith, is you have the ability to tell yourself no. You, you grow and you mature to the point, like he says here, I have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right now, everything in me is telling me I really need a new shiny this. I really need more in the bank just so I can feel secure. I, man, I really want more pizza, whatever. I don't care, whatever it is. And in those times to remember, no, 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 no. Because of the Holy Spirit, I have the ability to tell myself no, to control myself. It's something the Holy Spirit does in us. Listen to the way that Paul describes those who don't have Christ. He says, For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They're focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It, for a long time, it kinda, I didn't know what to do with, for their God is their stomach. I was like, what does that even mean? That's such a weird way to say it, Paul. But what he was talking about is their appetites rule them. Whatever they want in the moment, that then rules them. Their passions and desires. Their God is their stomach. The, the chief purpose of their life is getting whatever they want. And he says that is anti-Christian. For those that are in Christ, your appetites don't rule you. They are not your king. So you better learn to tell them no. Another benefit of fasting is gaining direction. One of the things that we see multiple times throughout the scripture when fasting is mentioned is that uh, 
especially in the New Testament, the apostles and the disciples, they were seeking the Lord's will. They were seeking direction and fasting was always a part of that. In Acts chapter 13, as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Then after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them off. This is one that I can't explain to you exactly how and why it works this way, but there is something about when we need to hear the Lord, when we need to, uh, direction for a job, for a home, for a, a circumstance in life, and we need direction, there is something about fasting and prayer in those times that begins to open us up. It, it has, it's not that the Lord wasn't speaking before, but there's something about being in a time of fasting that opens our ears to the Lord in a new and fresh way. And it's almost like, I'm gonna say magic, not in some like mystical sense, but like I don't understand how it works, but I have seen it again and again in scripture and I've experienced it in my own life to go fasting is so tied in with hearing clearly from the Lord that when we're in those spots where I, I need to know, Lord, is it left, is it right? There's a decent chance that's a great time to fast, to seek after the Lord in that way. And finally, well, there's probably more, but the last one I'm gonna talk on, revealing what lies beneath the surface. Foster says it like this, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonder, wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. David writes, I humble my soul with fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they're within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Then we'll realize that we're angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Jesus Christ. Most of us are so in love with stuff and we have so many comforts in this life that we don't ever really have to deal with what's underneath. We can always find something else to blame it on, but he says, when we choose to fast, when we choose to tell ourselves no, those things will come to the surface. And here, I'll, I'll tell you, it's ugly when it happens. And at first, I found myself doing it too. Yeah, it's just low blood sugar. Well, that's just because I'm fasting today. I'm not normally this angry. But when you stop and think about it, you go, actually, I always am. I just tend to hide it a little better. But when I choose to fast, what's in there comes out and praise the Lord for it. Because once it comes out, I can actually begin to deal with it. And so fasting can be one of those great things. If you're at a place where you're going, I'm just kind of like stuck in my relationship with Jesus, fasting may be one of those things that brings up what he's been trying to get you to see. And once it bubbles to the surface, he goes, now we can deal with it. And we can begin to move forward and to grow. So those are the four disciplines that we're gonna look at this morning. Study, meditation, prayer, and fasting. What I want to hear from you guys now is let's get practical with it. What do these things look like? I'm not going to take the time to go through study and we'll hear from everybody and then meditation. We can jump around. I've put, they're pretty small. Can you guys see the little questions there? Okay. Study. When? Where? How much? How long? Like what works for you? What we're not doing is being prescriptive, which is saying this works for me so it'll work for everybody. We're being descriptive. Here's what I've found that works for me 
Maybe you can steal some of it. Maybe it'll give you a starting place in this area. So study, when, where, how much, how long, meditation. What does it look like for you? How do you incorporate it into your everyday? Prayer, what patterns and practices do you have? There's all kinds of prayer models that you can use. What works for you? What helps you to have a regular rhythm of prayer? Fasting, what situations, like when do you fast? What do you fast? How, like, let's talk about when you started fasting. For some of you who don't before, how long did you start with? Let's help try to give some actual handles to these things. Does that make sense? So let's talk. D- try to, uh, you can just raise a hand and throw it out. Just try to keep them pretty short. We don't really have time for a bunch of stories, but just, hey, when it comes to study, here's what I found works for me, or fasting, or whatever it may be, and let's just learn from each other. She raised her hand. I know, I so. Uh, so I like Yeah. Yeah, there's some of these simple models out there. Acts, the one that she said. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Is that the, the big word for the S? Yeah. What, what, are the, what are some of the other prayer models that we have? There's a bunch of them that are like acronyms to help you remember them pretty easy. Acts. Okay, tacos. <laughs> tacos. What does tacos stand for? Thanksgiving, adoration, confession, others. Okay. What else? What are some of those patterns that help us? They just give us kind of a, a bit of a roadmap. Yeah. So uh, Luke chapter 11, if you're wondering where the Lord's prayer is found. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, what are the things that I need today? Hey, you know what? I need patience. We, I, we actually need some bread today. I mean, whatever it may be. And you just start praying those things. It's a pattern that he gave us. What else? Out, out, of, out of any of these, what works for you? Where did you start with some of this, Joe? And I can see two parts of that. She was saying she keeps the word close, like on her nightstand next to her bed, in the car with her, whatever. And part of it is it's always there where I can open it and spend time with him anytime I have time. In the middle of the night, I wake up and we've all woke up anxious about something and being able. But there's also, it can even just serve as that visual reminder. The Lord is near to me. He, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's close to me. You know, and so it can serve multiple purposes. That's a really good one. What else? Meditation looks like imagination a lot for me. Okay. Like using my imagination to picture what God has said he does or what he looks like or even just picturing like uh, like on my phone in the Bible app 
picture it in yeah. my imagination or that also kind of ties into prayer like uh, you know like if I'm you can use your imagination to apply what scripture says God can do to what someone who needs that done you can like I can like imagine that happening yeah yeah, imagination that goes with meditation. Imagination is not a dirty word uh, in the church. For, for some time, some people have treated it that way because it almost feels like, well, that's just made up stuff, right? Isn't that what imagination is? But I mean, when we read through the book of Mark, remember how many times we would stop and we'd go, man, what would it have looked like? What would it have been like? And putting yourself there and meditating, going through, and, and the word says, man, to be patient with your children. And pretty quickly, a time comes to mind where I wasn't patient with my children. What if part of my meditation was to stop and go, what would it have looked like if I would have practiced the kind of patience with them that he has with me? What would I have actually said? What would have been, what would have been the Christ-like way to handle that? And in that imagining, in that walking back through it, I'm meditating. I'm applying his word to my life. So imagining is a huge piece of applying his word to your heart and to your life. What else? Yeah, there's a ton of descriptive language used in the scriptures, and it's for a reason. It's so you can actually stop and picture what they're describing. Uh, like she talked about in, in Isaiah, it says, I see the Lord on his throne. And the purpose of giving us that was so that we could go, man, Lord Jesus, what would it even look like you on your throne? It's even hard to imagine. When, when Jesus was teaching earlier in Matthew chapter 7, and he said, it's like a guy who built a house on a rock and a guy who built a house on the sand and he says the storm comes. He walks you through the story. Why? Because he wants us to actually picture it and go, okay, I don't want the house that's now in shambles. I've been there. Lord, what is the rock? And he's given us these things so that we can meditate, so we can picture ourselves and put yourself there. It's a beautiful practice. Is somebody else going to say something? Sure. Every day, it's more like, what is my, I almost have these like checkpoints, like it's quiet for nap time, okay, or it's, I'm about, in college, 
Yeah. The when on there is not because, well, there's a right time to do it and there's wrong times. There might be a right and wrong time for you, but nowhere in the scripture does it say, so every day by 8 a.m., if you have not read your Bible yet, it doesn't talk about that. This one's kind of scary for people. Hey, who knows? I might get fired for it. It doesn't even say every day. Guess what the disciples couldn't do? Read their Bible every day. Do you know why? First of all, it didn't exist. Second of all, what scripture they did have was in scrolls. And you know what you didn't do? Carry around a backpack full of scrolls. When Paul would write his letter, they would gather once a week and they would hear, man, what's the latest thing that Paul has to say? And let's read that, that other letter that he wrote to the Galatians. Let's hear that one again. Most of them were illiterate. They had it once a week. It, so again, I'm, what I'm trying to do right now is remove some guilt. Because many of us have been told, if you're not in your Bible every day, you might not even be a Christian. I don't read my Bible every day. I'm meditating on the word every day. I'm in relationship with the Lord every day. I don't have, is that a, a fantastic goal to have? Yeah. Is that where I'm at? I'm not. There's some days when my routine gets thrown out of whack and I just plumb forget. Like, do, do, am I loved less? Do I, no. But it's about how do I be intentional with the time that I do have? How do I schedule this into my life in places that do work, where I can actually grow? For some of you, that's gonna be first thing. For some of you, it's gonna be your lunch break or nap time. For others, it's gonna be before bed. We're all wired differently and that's a beautiful thing. The question is what works for you? How often works for you? If you're just getting a verse a day right now, again, start small. Don't go seven days a week starting tomorrow. Come on, try two or three. And when you get that under your belt and that becomes normal, add a fourth, add a fifth, okay? Starting small with this, kind of removing some of that guilt. What else? Yeah. How many of you have ever gotten a gym membership? How many of you have ever then not gone to the gym, even though you were paying for the gym membership? How many of you had a workout buddy? You were a lot more consistent because there was accountability. There was somebody on days when, man, you just weren't even sure. They were going, hey, just put your shoes on, meet me at the gym. This is all meant to be learned and practiced together. Get a buddy. You know what? I really struggle with prayer. Uh, will you text me every day at this time and say, hey, have you prayed yet? Many of you know I've mentioned a bunch of times. I have four different alarms that go off on my watch every day reminding me to pray about very specific things at different times because if I don't have something buzzing and making noise, I will forget. I'll just get caught up in what's going on that day. And so we've had to find ways to stop and to pray to whatever that looks like. Get creative with it. Bring other people in on it. We haven't really talked about fasting at all yet. This is a pretty unpopular one in America, and for the most part, it's pretty unpracticed. Um, this is th what the Bible says about fasting. One of the things Jesus says, he says, when you fast, don't go around looking all sad and making a big deal about, oh, I'm fasting. And he says, instead, no one should even know that you're fasting. But this isn't one of those times. <laughs> If you're fasting now, I mean, don't go, I'm fasting right now. But talk about like, hey, you know what? I've, I've tried to fast and here's what I found works and doesn't work. It's not bragging right now. Let's learn from each other. It's really been helpful for me to have someone giving permission to start small. 
All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you here. So talk to Kim. Okay. <laughs> she has a lot to say about fasting. What have you found in the practice of fasting? Small, yes. And then breaking the fast intentionally, not like I'm giving up chocolate for 40 days. Well, that's a really giant thing. You know what I mean? Like you could fast chocolate if you feel so led, but like it's way better if it could be something that you can start in a day and stop in a day and with intentionality yeah. like thankfulness. Because again, we're, we're talking about starting points. And many of us read, well, Jesus fasted for 40 days. I guess here I go. Or most of us read it and go, I'm never fasting. <laughs> Starting small. You know what? Lunch. That, that's where it starts. I'm going to eat breakfast. I'll eat again at dinner. And you know what? Normally we eat dinner at six. Today we're eating at five. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and here's the thing. God's not going, how dare you? He's going, you're trying it. Great job. Start small. Celebrate it. What can we fast? Adam? Oh, hand raisers. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 How many times when you're out without your phone do you check your phone? Oh. I felt something buzz though, right? Like there's nothing in my pocket. It, it's, we're, we're hooked on these things. Technology is a great thing to try fasting. Once you do, you start to realize like just how natural it is to pull your phone out. Man, I've taken so many less bathroom breaks. Why? Because I didn't have a phone. Like it's crazy how much we don't even think about it and those things come out and you start to notice it when you've begun to fast. Here's the thing that stops most of us from fasting, whether it's technology, food, we can talk about some other things. The addict's mantra comes out. I could quit if I wanted to, I just don't want to. I could give up my phone if I wanted to, I just really don't want to. Try it. Start small. If there's, if there's one of those things that when you even think about fasting it, part of you goes, ooh, I hope not. That's, start there and start small. You know what, for an hour, I'm gonna put my phone on do not disturb in the other room and I'm just gonna leave it. Maybe at this time of night, it goes to sleep. I have a bedtime for my phone and off it goes because I need to be away. I need to fast from that kind of always being connected. What else can we fast? Again, it's probably going to be the place where you don't want to start. It's probably the place you need to start.
Yes. I'm done. I'm going to eat this hamburger to the glory of you. Yeah. 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 Those are good. Again, fasting, when, again, you learn and you grow into it, but it's replacing one thing for another. It's not just, I'm not eating, I'm not using my phone, I'm not touching chocolate, whatever it may be. It's the time and energy that I would spend on this, I'm now going to spend on seeking you. So I'm going to spend that in prayer. You know, my lunch break, I'm going to crack open my Bible and I have some extra time in the Word. Every time I check my phone that isn't in my pocket, that's going to be a reminder to me to, man, Lord, you are good. Thank you for everything that you've given me. Like using those things as a reminder so that the time and energy I would normally spend on it, I now spend seeking him. Okay, so we have just barely scratched the surface. And if this feels unfulfilling to you, good, it should it's going to feel like this for the next couple weeks as well, because all of this is simply meant to pique some curiosity, to hopefully go, hey, when they said that one thing, what was that prayer model that they said again? That might be helpful if I had something like that. You can reach out to me. We can help resource you with some of these things. But again, what I would really encourage you to do is if you heard something here this morning that you're going, man, that kind of got me thinking, go talk to that person. This is all meant to be learned in the context of relationship. Hey, you talked about this earlier. Will you show me how you use that? Uh, That seems like something that could maybe help kind of get me out of my rut. Will you teach me how to do that? If we will approach it like that, you will grow way more from Monday through Saturday than you will if I just spent, man, so much dedicated time on each one of these. Go, try, learn, experiment. Walk together in this. Because again, it's all about refocusing on the rock. It's all about coming back to what is most important. I tend to wander. Lord, what is the discipline I need that's going to help bring me back in this moment? So I'm going to ask the music team to come up as I pray. And we're going to sing. I've gotten in trouble for this before. I'm going to say it's an old hymn. It may be an old chorus. Some people are like, that's not a hymn. It was written in 1940. It's a hymn. Okay, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Because what I want to do is leave here not just just with thoughts of disciplines floating around, but again, the why. Because I want to get back to the solid rock. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and speaking and, and speaking through your people. We've got some of these thoughts floating around and maybe even some of us starting to form, hey, what could that one look like? Or maybe I could try something like that. Lord, I pray that you would, you would attach a face or a name to every one of those thoughts. I need to go talk to that person. I, I want to learn from that person. If we don't know those people, then Lord, may you bring them into our path. May we truly link arms and walk forward together, becoming more like you, standing firm upon the rock as we focus on these disciplines, not for discipline's sake, but because we hunger and we thirst for you, I pray.
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.